you don't rise to the occasion, you sink back on your training. And just think about that for a second, right? Think about what that means. You don't just magically become good when it matters most. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another Heart Train. I'm one of your hosts, Evan Singer. Matt Cermak couldn't join me this week, so it's just me. Thanks for hopping aboard to all my passengers out there. In case you're new, we help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again, because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. Trust me, we'll prove it, okay? Thank you guys. As always, we unpack the mental game with anyone from a PGA Tour pro like today to a best-selling author, sports psychologist, and a golfer like you and me. We're going to get to this episode with James Nicholas. By popular demand, I got messages from you guys that said after James got his first full status on a pro tour with the DP World Tour, he's going for his PGA Tour card. Final stage of Corn Ferry Q School. I think if he finishes in the top, I don't know. There's so many numbers thrown around. If he plays well, he has a chance to get his PGA Tour card. And you guys are going to absolutely love this episode. We'll get to that in a second. But first... Our friends at Roback are dropping incredible gear every day, it seems like. And the holidays are just around the corner. So make sure you go to Roback.com, enter the code TRAIN, and get 15% off. I would highly recommend the crew neck sweatshirts, performance sweatshirts. I'm wearing one literally right now. You can wear it at holiday parties. You can wear it at business meetings. You can wear it on the golf course. You can wear it at the gym. You can wear it on the couch. Come up with another scenario, and guess what? I'll tell you, you can wear it there. That is the type of gear that I like to buy, okay? If you're going to spend the money on the high-quality stuff like Roback, granted, not as much as a normal person because I'm getting you a, a discount, you buy stuff that you can wear in every scenario. That means your dollar is going as far as it possibly can. You shouldn't feel guilty about it because you can wear it in any scenario. That's the type of wardrobe you want. That's the type of wardrobe I have. It's the Roback lifestyle. Roback.com, enter the code train, get 15% off, and you're going to love it. I'm telling you, everything they sell is soft, stretchy, and it performs for anything you want. Okay, this episode with James was really powerful because this is a guy that was just doing full-time Monday qualifying. And just in case you don't know what Monday qualifying is, you have one round, you basically have to shoot nine or 10 under, and if you don't, you don't get in. And you have to spend, I think it's at least over a grand to get in. So imagine he told a story where he shot six under and didn't get in. And it was actually on his birthday. So imagine actually even playing well and still feeling like you missed a cut. That's what he's done all year. Hasn't had full status on any professional tour. Has had conditional status on the Corn Ferry Tour. Finally just got his first full status on the DP World Tour and going for his PJ Tour card. It's such an amazing story, especially because he documents his whole journey on social media, and he's one of my favorite follows. And he's very inspiring, okay? The work that he's done to raise his self-belief and raise his game will apply to every level of every golfer out there, and you're going to want to run through a brick wall after listening to this episode. So it was super fun to get James to come on in between. He's literally in the middle of all this. He's been traveling to and from Europe, it seems like, and you guys are going to absolutely love this episode. So I'll stop rambling. I'll get you right to it. As always, guys, thank you for hopping aboard the PAR train. It means the world. If you like the show, if we've added value, give us a review at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It really helps. Share it with a friend. I love hearing those stories about how a guy was wearing the PAR train hat and he told his group and now the whole group listens to the show. It means the world. Hop aboard our email list, thepartrain.com. We send out an email every Monday and you get first access to merchandise drops. Our hats will have just dropped by the time this comes out. Give us a follow at the Partrain, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. So no matter how tentative you're feeling off the tee, no matter what you're staring down, whether it's OB or water, or you just came off three straight bogeys, doubles, triples, whatever, just remember guys, all you got to do is enjoy the ride and follow what James Nicholas tells you because it's clearly working. Thanks as always, guys. It means the world. Take care. My man, James Nicholas, welcome aboard the PAR train. My man, your second ride by popular demand. We're pumped to have you back. No, thanks for having me. Before we dig into everything, there's a. I was just telling you off air, it's been since March 2022, the first time you came on. And I'm pretty sure that's right, because that was after your 79 and 61. 
Does that sound about right? March, 2022? Yeah, it does. It feels like it's way longer than that ago, but it does. It was only less, you know, two years ago or two seasons ago. Yeah. Crazy. So we have a lot to dig in on a lot of new stuff, but before we do, I was thinking about, I was looking at your Instagram today and I saw that Jones sent you, I think it was 13 hats, three beanies, 10 hats. Yes, I counted. (laughs) And my wife, I'm bringing this up because my wife makes fun of me. I come back from every golf trip or every seems like anytime I play any course, I'm coming back with a new hat and I have so many hats. These are new hats. We're selling new hats this week. It'll be two weeks ago by the time this comes out. And it's always fun to think about what's my system. How do I keep track of these hats? She's always making fun of me that I have too many. You got 13 from Jones today. What is your system to keep track of all your hats? Do you have the stackables? Do you hang them? Do you throw them in a corner? What is James Nicholas's hat organizational system? You know, I kind of keep track of my visors a little bit more since I wear visors on the course. The hats are just kind of everywhere. I got some in my car. <laughs> I got some in my closet. I got some literally everywhere. Wherever I find one, I just throw it on. That's my pickleball, you know, my pickleball uniform. I just throw it on mm. back and I go, go out and play. But you no, know, the Jones hats are my favorite hats and they, they're they're my guys. So they sent me a bunch and you know, I definitely like wearing some hats when it's cold outside, but when it's hot, the full head of hair just sweats way too much. I need the visor to a little vent, little vent. Got it. Yeah. So the the James Nicholas hat organizational system is there is no system. There's no, it's non-existent. Got it. I, I mean, that's not fair. I in my closet I do have like rows, right, where I, I do put all my hats color coordinated. I'm very kind of particular about. Oh wait, but, breaking news from no system uh, to a section in the in the closet with color coordination yes but once one comes out it's not likely that it comes back in it'll just (laughs) just like end up like it's it's really pretty when they're brand new and starting and then after that once once it's removed and it's worn it's kind of worn repeatedly until it's done and then then it just goes wherever i actually feel that i got the stackables my wife made me get them Mm -hmm. and once i take it out it's very hard for that thing to find its way back in exactly it's in every room in my house so that's Yeah, I can empathize with that. Okay, so before we dig into everything, I thought it could actually be helpful, James, because I can't even keep track myself. So if I'm struggling with that, I would imagine the average golf fan does too. Can you give us a crash course on all these different Q schools, all these tours? You obviously got your status full card at DP World Tour. You just reached final stage of Corn Ferry finals. That obviously would get you a PGA tour card. There's the Americas tour. Is that Latin American tour? Yeah. Is that what they call it now? The Americas? Yeah. I run through it. Basically Canada, Latin, basically fused into one. Got it. Okay. Okay. And they're going to have a Canada swing, a Latin American swing, and the top 10 at the end of the season are going to get their, they're going to get their corn fairy tour cards. Right. So I basically did, well, not basically, but I, I did DP world tour, European tour, Qualifying and PJ Tour qualifying. Those are my two qualifying schools this past year. Yep. I did first stage four PJ Tour and I won. Only the winner gets a benefit, and that was getting PJ Tour America status for the next year. So I won first stage, which got me secured PJ Tour America status, and then advanced to second stage. I went over to European Tour, finished fourth at European Tour first stage, which got me a paycheck, but nothing else. Hmm. Right. Onto second stage. So now I'm at second stage for both of them. Second stage at Europe, I went, finished top, I finished 13th, which got me through to final stage. Making it to final stage in Europe got me my conditional challenge tour card, which is basically the equivalent of a corn fairy tour over here, just mm-hmm. underneath the world tour. If you make the four round cut at European tour fi- uh, final stage, you now get full challenge tour status and conditional full DP world tour status. So I made the cut there. And then after I make the cut, whoever finishes in top 20 and 25 and ties gets their full DP world tour card status, which I did. So I got my full DP world tour status card along with the challenge tour card. But again, that's a lesser tour. So on weeks where I wouldn't get into a, a DP event, I could go play challenge if I wanted to. Now that being done, I came back over to the States, played second stage over here last week in Kindlewood Forest, finished second which didn't get me anything other than advancing the final stage. If I won, I would have got my full Corn Fairy Tour card, but I finished second, 
which got me my corn fairy tour card in a conditional manner. Now I go to the final stage, top five in ties gets me my PGA tour card. And then the next 40 in ties will give me my full corn fairy tour card. Anything outside the top 40, you're just conditional. So mm -hmm. I have currently a full DP world tour card, conditional corn fairy tour card, a full challenge tour card and a full PGA tour America's tour card. So wow. that's, it's kind of the the crash course right there. And then there's other tours like the Asian tour or the Japanese tour, which have their own Q schools as well. But I did not do those. And I have no intention of doing those because of what I accomplished at Q schools. Did this take you a while to be able to understand all of this? Oh, yeah. Just like anything, right? The Wagger yeah. system, the amateur, it took me a, a long, long time to understand. So, you, I mean, once it's your reality, you, you learn it quick. Yeah, because even while you were going through it, it reminded me of high school being in math class again. And I was like, whoa. After getting my America's tour card, you don't know, you don't have that European tour Q school finished yet. So you don't know what status you would have gotten. Got um, whole back and forth thing is a gamble, right? Because you're kind of running on fumes. It's a lot of money, but I've got great sponsors. I've had a great backing. My family's super supportive. And, you know, I'm really lucky to be able to do that from a financial standpoint. Yeah. So I've always wanted to just maximize my chances and two opportunities to get through Q school and get a, you know, there's two major, I guess now with Live, it's maybe three, but three major tours in the world, the PGA Tour, the European Tour, and the Live Golf Tour, right? And if, as a professional golfer, you want to you want to spot on one of those three tours. So my goal was to maximize my chances, do every Q school that I can to get to those tours. So PGA Tour, Q school, European Tour, Q school, got to go through them to the end to see what you get. And, you know, I have my European Tour, Q school, my European Tour card, which is the DP World Tour card. And there is a debate for me to say, hey, I'm not going to go to PG to Corn Ferry Q School because you already have your DP World Tour card. Why would you go back? Like, and for the chance at top five, you might, might as well just start the season because yeah. the season started two weeks ago. And this is, you know, it's very complicated. And this is something I've been working on the last few days of just trying to wrap my head around. Um, again, there's an event this week in South Africa. There's an event next week in Mauritius. So I'm skipping all these events for the DP World Tour for a chance at a top five to be in the PGA Tour. But again, right. You know, one good week next week and I'm on the PJ tour and none of that DP stuff matters. So that's kind of my reality right now. Wow. That is a ton. Yeah. I even, that's a great point of even the going back and forth. You could argue, well, if the goal is to ultimately be PGA tour, don't even mess with DP world tour, be fresh going into, you know, stage two sure. to try and make the finals. But you had about what a week in between, not even between getting your tour card on the DP world tour and then stage two of the corn ferry Q school. Was, yeah. Five days, man. And, and you were in Bar Barcelona, was it? Yeah. So I actually flew, I was playing Q school six, the last nine weeks. I went from France to mobile, or sorry, mobile, Alabama directly to France week off, then back to Spain in, I don't even know what it was called. Isla de Canela. Then what directly from Isla de Canela to Barcelona, then right from Barcelona back here for second, and then right from second, I've you know six days prep for finals. So it's been a, been a lot of traveling. Man, that's wild. So we're gonna get into everything that's transpired that you just broke down. Thank you for going through that. I think that's actually really helpful context. Like I told you off air, I listened to our interview from March of 2022 this morning. And we were talking about how you shot a 79 and a 61 the next day. And it was this big story because everyone was like, imagine shooting a 61 and not making the cut. Right. That yeah. was the headline. And I think you needed like a 50. You went out to go and shoot a 59 to make the cut. You ended yeah. up shooting a 61. Um, the big takeaway I got from that conversation was you talked about early on, you tried too hard. Right. You used to believe you'd see 25 under as the winning score for a corn fairy event. And you'd think, I got to shoot six under, six under, six under, six under. Right. And every round, and anytime you weren't headed in that direction, let's say you started two over, you'd press because you feel like you're behind the eight ball. You have to shoot six under to win. And I think what you said on that podcast was what you learned was as long as you have solid rounds, like a two under or a three under, and then maybe you have a really great round, like a six under, you were top 10, right? Sometimes you had a chance. And so there was a big shift for you, it sounded like, from number one, pressing 
and feeling like you had to go low every time. But on the flip side of that, James, it was also like, let's just try to make the cut. It was almost one or the other. Now that we reflect on where you were a year and a half ago, bring us to the this past season. What of that did you take with you? What did you do differently? Yeah, well, I think Final Stage Q School for DP World Tour is a perfect example of my mindset and how I've learned and progressed as a, as a golfer since, you know, the, the almost two years ago. And my whole thing is just like, okay, let's let's have a chance in the back nine, right? The last round back nine, let's have a chance. Let's be in contention, give myself a chance to go out and, you know, make something happen. And again, I shot three under, one under, two under, I think three under, and then four under in the final round to get my card, right? And if you break, or there's six rounds, so I'm not sure how many said, but it was all around that, that three, two, one, four number. Mm-hmm. And it was crazy. I just kind of kept plotting around, kept doing my thing, stuck to the process. I didn't take on incredibly t- challenging shots. I didn't try to make a, a hero shot out of the woods when I was out of trouble. I just got back in position and kept plotting myself away, right? In the past, maybe I would have tried to make that hero shot in the first round because I would have you know, known that 17 under was the number last year. So I got to get to 17. It's like, can't really get to 17 on day one. You know, you, you can put yourself at four over, which now you got to go make 21 birdies, or you can just kind of keep plotting around, playing, not safe, but smart. And being aggressive to conservative targets is, uh, you know, the thing that I like to say a lot. And again, this week at second stage, I shot right around even par in the first round and was, you know, in a fine spot, but probably I was up probably T20, top 12 gets their card. Second round shot seven under, right? And I was in second. So it, it can happen really quickly in golf. And I think that my mindset now is that I don't really change how I play based on where I'm at. There, there's one routine. There's one process there's one game plan that i put in place before the week starts and i'm always going to try to do that because that's what's going to maximize my ability to play the best i already put that in place for the sole purpose of trying to win and me deviating from that plan regarding you know depending on where i stand in on the leaderboard it's not gonna do me any good yeah do you think it's because i even noticed that i played this morning and for a seven handicap i was uh i shot a 38 on the front and I noticed I got all I got all excited. I kind of started the day with the same mindset you just referenced, right? I'm going to focus on my rhythm. I'm going to aim to really conservative targets. And I'm just going to see where the cards fall, right? Ride the par train for a little while, feeling good, and put together a little 38, right? But then I got excited. Do pros get excited? I've never asked a pro this on... Because that seems to be the common thing for amateurs, right? Is you you start with a certain mindset, you start to see either really good results or poor results, and you change your whole plan. Do pros get excited out there, or what? I guess the question is, what makes you change your plan more common, more often than not? Yeah, I mean, nothing should ever make you change your plan. Yeah, your your plan is to do the best you possibly can. So, any deviation that's going to make you play worse right right you already set out this plan to do the best you can if there's a tucked pin back right you need to make a birdie you going at it it's not going to make you make a birdie yeah it might increase your chances if you, if you pull up that miracle shot but over the long you know stretch of you trying to pull off that shot you're probably going to make a much worse numbers if you just play to your number and try to make a putt perfect example i played with diapers the other day 250 yard par three to a tuck 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 pin and the guy in front of me, you know, took it right at it and came up one yard short, right? If he was one yard further, he would have been like this, but, you know, three feet away and he came up short and made double. I just, you know, hit a nice cut to about 50 feet, made it. And that's how you make birdies, right? It's, it just takes not the pressure away, but it just takes the decision-making away where, you know, you've got a preset area where you're trying to hit it and just stick to that no matter what. Cause you never know if like, you have a putt for, for anything, you can make it. Um, right. Like my first college win, I wasn't, Going after the pin on 18, I was tied with Philly with one hole to play. I hit it to the middle of the green and made like an 85-foot slider. And I'll never forget it because I wasn't trying to get it close to make the birdie. I was just giving myself a chance, and then, you know, you end up making it. It's, just, it's weird how golf works out, works out sometimes. Yeah, but I mean. To go back go and ahead. answer you, like, you get excited. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll start feeling myself make four, five, six, seven birdies in a row. Like that, that that's, that's awesome. But acknowledging, you know, my mental coach once told me, once you acknowledge a streak, it's over. So don't think mm. about oh I'm a four in a row I'm five in a row it's like that then it's over 
because you're going to put that pressure on yourself to make that, you know, same score or streak or par train or whatever you want to call it, but don't acknowledge it. And, and, you know, after the round, that's the time to reflect, not during it. Yeah. It's kind of like jump roping and you're thinking about how am I doing this? And then it, it hits your foot and you yeah. stop, you stop the rope, you know? So does then going back to the original question for you, what's more likely to get in the way of your process? Is it playing really, really well or is it playing poorly? Um, I mean, historically for you playing well never gets in front of my process you know i'm I'm pretty good at sticking to my my routines sticking to my i mean when things are going right i feel like i'm doing the right thing i trusted it so that's never the case when i'm playing poorly that's when i'll start second guessing my putting like oh should i try this should i try that and uh you know historically that's been the thing but you know recently i've done really well and i've told myself after the round is time to second guess it and work on things not during the round during the round stick to your process, whatever you shoot, you shoot. Don't be results oriented, just be process oriented and kind of figure things out after. What is your current process? So my process would be, okay, walking to the ball, not thinking about it at all. Just kind of chilling, get to my ball, bag goes down with my caddy, get the number, whether if we can use a range finder, we use a range finder, if we walk it off, we walk it off. I do my own numbers, he does his. We compare, then we assess the wind, okay? Which direction is the wind? What's the moisture level? What's the humidity? How hot or cold is it outside? Any elevation change, right? All those factors kind of come in and we pick a number. Okay. It's a 175 pin adjusted to 182. Then I think about where I'm trying to hit the ball because the pin doesn't really matter. It's where you're trying to, you know, leave the right. ball to, to I mean, make your best score. So 182 front left pin. Okay. I want to hit this probably four or five long right of it. Pick that number 187 wins into off the right. Going to be hurting probably four or five more yards. 191 to 192 shot. Okay. 192. That can be either be, you know, really strong seven iron or just knock down six iron up, up again, you know, caught up against that into right into the right wind. So what am I going to do? And then that's my decision making. I'll be the one picking the club. Like, okay. This is gonna be that knockdown six. I'll put the club, take a deep breath, set up behind the ball, take a practice swing, feeling that shot, get behind the ball again, see my my line to see where it's starting, see where it's finishing, take a deep breath, walk in one, two steps, get in there, do my process, my routine, which is the same every time. I look up at the ball, look up at the target, imagine the shot, look back down and swing. Once that ball is released, watch the shot, see where it goes, you know, whatever, it's gone, doesn't matter. Um, if it takes a bad bounce, I try to be level-headed. It takes good bounce, try to be level-headed. And then I, you know, can react if I'm really pissed off maybe give myself a little snap, nothing major. I'm, I'm pretty level-headed out there. And then once that glove comes off onto the next shot, that shot is released, whether it was good or bad. I'm not thinking about it at all. It's onto the next shot. So it sounds like you visualize twice. You visualize behind the ball and then you visualize mm-hmm. over the ball one last, the last second before you look at the ball and start your motion. Yeah. That last, that last visualization is more of a start line. Look, it's more, okay, Got where it. am I starting the ball? And then just because that first, that first, I want to make sure the ball's going in the right window. All right, guys, stay seated. Keep those seatbelts fastened. The train will get right back on track. But first, I just wanted to take a second to thank you guys for listening all year long. I know it's not technically the end of the year, but, and by the way, I should probably mention, my voice is like this because I'm recording this the morning after Sir Mac's wedding. It was an amazing night. But I just wanted to come on here and thank everybody for all the support and hopping aboard all year long. If you listen once, if you listen 100 times, we appreciate it. And if you want to continue to support the train and stay aboard the train, I think the best way to do that is to hop aboard our email list at thepartrain.com. It's totally free. Also to hop aboard our new YouTube channel. It's going to be a big focus for us in 2024. We've got a lot of new stuff going up and we want to help you enjoy the ride in new ways. So those are probably the two best places other than continuing to share and listen to this podcast and give us a review on Apple podcast and Spotify. So thank you guys as always and hope you're enjoying the ride. Take care. You talked a lot last time about reps because what a lot of people may not know about you is you haven't been on tour that long. I mean, you, you hadn't even played that long before playing at Yale, right? You, you played other sports. So if you think about where you were almost two seasons ago versus where you are now, it almost feels like a different player. What do you attribute that to besides the reps? 
Yeah. I mean, I think experience is, like you said, reps, experience, same, same thing, big in any sport, any industry, any sort of thing in life, right? The, the more you do something, the better you're going to get. Recently, I switched coaches. Gary Weir is my longtime coach, basically built my golf swing from the ground up and is, you know, the, re- the reason why I've gotten so good is because of him, but I, I switched away from him a couple months ago to Jim and John McClain down in Miami. Need somebody a little bit closer to me down in Florida and you know, we started working on some new things and it's been really, really good for me. And immediately when I started working for them, working with them, I just got better. And my game was more refined, more consistent. I was able to start the ball and do, you know, hit shots that I hadn't been able to hit before. My short game was incredible. My putting was really, really strong. And I work on my putting with Daryl Kessner. Um, and it's been just the strongest part of my game day in, day out. And again, I don't know if much has changed, but I think I'm definitely trusting my game more. I'm executing under pressure and... Sometimes it just, it happens, right? It happens at different times. Like I got hot at the right time the last couple of weeks and hopefully I can continue to, to stay hot and, and play and keep playing good. And if I do lose it, I've got a whole bunch of notes where I can come back and try to find this again because it's a really good spot in my career. What was the first thing you guys started to work on or tweak? Yeah, that's a secret. That's uh, between my coach and I, and he's uh, he's kind of told me, don't share what we're working on. Don't share okay. what, what we're doing. It's, uh, that's something between me and him. And that's just going to kind of stay that way. Fair enough. You can't share the secret sauce, right? Yeah, maybe one day. Maybe one day. Walk me through. You said there's six rounds in DP World Tour Q School. Yep. <laughs> and that's day after six days in a row. Yeah, it's 100 and, 108 holes. <laughs> My God, walk me yeah. through. Walk me through that week. Walk me through the ups and downs. Yeah. Maybe walk me through your lowest moment, um, or the moment that really challenged you the most, and we'll 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 start from there. Sure. So, I mean, I'm going to kind of circle back and go back to the second stage because yeah, I had to fly into Lisbon, drive from Lisbon three and a half hours to Isla Canela, play three practice rounds, then four rounds. And then that very next day, got on a plane to Barcelona, landed in Barcelona, drove an hour and a half down to Infinitum where the course was, checked into my Airbnb, got all settled. Next day, played a practice round, played four practice rounds. And then, you know, that last day was, was a pretty chill day where I got recovery so I'm on day 11 of playing every single day um, in kind of mindset. And then I got six more rounds after that. So day one, I'm just like, okay, again, we made our game plan. Let's stick to it. And that was what I was talking about before is like trying to not get too high not trying to get too low. I don't even, I honestly don't even remember what my first tee shot was like. I, what hole did I even start on? One, I think 10. I don't, it's it's such a blur. That's right? a good I guess. No, well, I don't, there's two courses, right? So I'm trying yeah, to think yeah. what course it was on. It might've been the hills, might've been the lakes. It was on the lakes, hole number 10. Striped down the middle, hit a good shot in there, right? I mean, super, super windy day. It was 30, 40 miles an hour. I knew that if I just kept myself in it, you know, that I would be in a good spot. You can definitely lose it on that day. A lot of guys shot five, six, seven over and were immediately out of the tournament. Mm-hmm. So Again, that was when my game plan, it didn't shift during the round. It shifted before. Okay, okay, not going to go for that par four because it's into the wind. I can't get there, right? I'm going to lay back. So all this analyzation or course management is happening the night before when they send out the pins. They send out the pins. I get my course map, my my yardage book. I basically draw up my entire round. I'm going to hit mini driver on one. It's going to be 107 yards in. I had a 58-degree wedge to about 15 feet. It's going to be a left to righter. So I'll make that one. Uh, every putt I'm, I'm, I'm visualizing, I'm making. So I'm trying to shoot 18 under. Next hole, driver. Little wind was into off the right. I'll have 116 yards in. It's a gap wedge. I'll hit that to five feet short of it. Roll that one in. 12 is going to be a really tough hole. I'm going to move that tee up. I'll have two options. The tee's back, tee's up. It's going to be a driver for both of them. You know, let's avoid that right bunker because that's but right bunker is going to be really, really tough. We'll play a little fade off that left bunker. And I actually dream of this when i'm going to sleep that's how i fall asleep i just go okay hole one mini driver 106 yards in you know gap, uh, oh this is gap. all in your head oh my head yeah right I'm, did I you already write this down. in your yardage book as well exactly so i'll write yeah. it down and now i'm envisioning and i can go through every single hole every single round on what i was exactly trying to do right number 18 i knew exactly that I was gonna hit mini driver in the final round because one was gonna be down i didn't want to get it to the water on the left and that gave me a five, five or four iron in, depending on if I drew it or faded it. I ended up fading it. So I hit a four iron, um, you know, made birdie, two putt birdie. So 
all these shots are, are trying to be pre-programmed into my program or my routine or my yardage plan. And yeah, I mean, 108 holes of golf. It's just to go back to your original question, you know, try to be as level as you can try to just keep yourself in it and give yourself a chance on the back nine. So that was my goal. And I'm the back nine was really tough. The wind shifted and it wasn't what I was expecting. It was a, you know, unexpected, unexpected uh, wind. And I had to just make up, you know, the shots there. And that's when you get out of your routine and you got to, you know, take a deep breath and be like, okay, well, let's refocus and we'll make our routine right now or make our, make our plan right now. So it was definitely a really interesting tournament because I've never played an 108 hole tournament, six round tournament, different than something I've ever done. But I think over the 108 holes, you know, you can kind of prove that you're, you're one of the deserving players. And luckily and thankfully I was able to do that. Yeah. I wonder James, if almost this marathon mentality is helpful in the sense of just plodding along. It's, it's almost like not just stick to my routine, but almost like pace yourself. Right. Yeah. Cause even emotionally, if you get too high, too low, the idea of doing four practice rounds before six rounds, <laughs> when you said that, I was like, I don't even think I'd play the four rounds. Obviously yeah, I, I don't have pro golf enough. shape, but yeah. Talk about that. What did the pacing, did that help that idea of pace yourself? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's way different than a Monday qualifier where you got 18 holes to go shoot 10 under uh, at the Pinnacle bank Monday qualifier. It's it's my game plan for that was way different than my six round tournament over in Europe. That that event is literally go after every single pin. Does not matter where it is. It doesn't matter if you shoot ninety five. As long as you shoot ten under, you're going to be in. Right, five under is the same as shooting ninety five. Just not going to get in. Right. So that one, my game plan was, I'm aiming at three feet either side of the hole, no matter where the pin is, no matter what what trouble it is. It's just going to be driver send at the pin. This one is more okay. Let's plot ourselves around. Let's make the highest percentage shots and then do the work on the putting green. Some really good putter. Get the ball in the green, try to make some putts. Yeah, I saw your recent um what is it, Panther National? Yeah. JT and Jack's new course. I saw it. I was like, man, I think it was 13 and 14. I was like, those up and downs on 13 and 14 were unbelievable. Yeah. And you made you them know, look pretty damn routine. It was not the easy, those are not the easiest shots. So I was I was kind of taking a big sigh of relief after I made those. That's for sure. Yeah, well, I can tell you, watching the video, it looks very routine. So is that, I mean, forgive my ignorance. Again, I'm trying to figure out how these different qualifying works. But I would think, it sounds like Corn Fairy is stage one, stage two. That's one, Is that one round? No, no. So I was talking about Monday qualifiers. Yeah, yeah. But like going, comparing, comparing Corn Fairy stages versus the DP World. I'm trying to understand the six round, how much more was on DP World versus Corn Ferry yeah. stage one, stage two. How many rounds are in Corn Ferry? So the pre-qualifying for Corn Ferry is three rounds. Then first okay. stage is four rounds. Second stage is four rounds. Oh. And over in Europe, first stage and second stage are both four rounds as well. Final stage over in the States is four rounds. And the final stage over in Europe is six rounds. Wow. Okay. So it's still quite a lot, even for Corn Ferry. Yep. So... Thinking about the James that came on our show almost two seasons ago, what do you know that he didn't? I don't know if it's what I know. I think it's what I believe, what I trust, you know, my process and sticking to it. I think it's knowing how to get the ball in the hole when you're not playing your best, right? Relying on your short game. I think it's also about not being perfect. You know, you don't always have the perfect round. You don't always have the perfect shot shape. You don't always have the perfect you know, feeling in your body or, or recovery level. It's, it's just playing with what you got, trusting. And yeah, I mean, it's hard to kind of put myself in those shoes two years ago. I was a very good player, but I'm much better now. And it's just, you know, I've got a long ways to go. I think in, in two, two years from now, I'm going to be saying the same thing about myself now. And I feel like I'm in a great spot now, but yeah. you're always trying to be better. You're always trying to get 1% better. And that's, you know, something I'm going to keep doing and not get complacent. Yeah, I've realized speaking to the amateur golfer, we call them the passengers, um, our listener. I find that the average amateur golfer, let's just say a 10 handicap, it's very rare that there's actual focus there. And I found that the worse you're playing, the harder it is to focus. 
where if you're starting to play well, the stakes go up and it's sometimes easier to laser in. Um, I think it's why a lot of times amateur golfers focus more on a birdie putt than any other putt. For an amateur that's listening to you go through their process, your process, I could sense that some of them might think, well, yeah, if I hit the ball as good as James, maybe I would have that too. Um, Speak to them a little bit of how, even if you're shooting in the 80s or 90s or higher, do they need a process like that? Uh, My biggest piece of advice for like any amateur golfer would be one, know how good you are. Know what shots you can hit. I might be able to pull out a mini driver and, and send it over, you know, a 270 yard carry to a tucked pin. Right. But that's still a shot that is really challenging for me. Yet I still see my dad trying to pull his three wood out from 220, right. Which is the equivalent so far he hits it and try to hit it like, you know, a little butter fade into that back right pin. And I'm like, dad, what are you doing? Hit your wedge to hundred yards, hit, your, hit that wedge to 15 feet and try to make the putt. Yeah. Like, I know, know what you can do. Then we can start thinking about the process because if you just play a game that you're really not capable of playing, then there's no real need for a process because you're probably not going to pull it off anyway. Mm. But that being said, yeah, I mean, don't be as crazy as me where you're playing your, you know, your, your casual Sunday round the night before, but take, take your deep breath before every shot or every putt should have, you know, two practice strokes, then you go on and, and putt it. Don't, don't wait over the ball for 15 seconds because you feel nervous over the tee shots. Like, those kind of things can add up. And I think it's the simple things like your routine that, that need to be your process. Yeah. It sounds like what you're saying is it's not just as important as it is for you to know what's my number. Where do I want to go? How do I want to see this shot? I think it's almost as important for the amateur to know what they can do. Meaning the awareness of post shot and post round of starting to like make a mental log of, what are my misses? Even if it's a two-way miss, like what is my curvature, right? Like what is my tendencies in this situation? Where on this type of lie, what do I tend to do? Do I tend to fat it, right? And and starting to gain that mental log of tendencies, it sounds like that is almost as important as a pre-shot routine for an amateur golfer. Is that fair? I would I would agree with that. I. I... A good example of that is I was a college golfer at Yale. So I was a very good, very good player. And during the winter times, all the pins were removed from, from the greens. So there were just holes. And my our team went out one day and we went to play. And we didn't know where the pins were. We just hit into the middle of the greens and everybody's talking about what they shot. We're like, oh, 68, 67, 69, 68, 71, 70. Nobody shot worse than one over. And we're like, wait, there's something here, right? Yeah. Because when the pin was in last week, there was 75, 76s and, you know, not that many low scores. And you learn something. Okay, well, maybe trying to hit it at the pin every single time isn't our best strategy. And actually, one of our teammates actually holed out and without knowing where the pin was. It's just <laughs> one of those things where we're like, well, if you knew where the pin was, there's no chance you're making it. And it's, um, I swear, if, if I was able to just a 10 handicap i was able to just tell them you know erase the pin from the green and just have them go in the middle of the green every single time they would shoot three four five shots lower on average and and that comes back to having their process of okay where's my target and they're always looking oh pin it's like no 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 no. Mm-hmm. it's in the middle of the green if you get lucky maybe you push or pull it and it's close but if you do that 18 times you're gonna shoot a way better score than if you go off the pin every single time you get short-sighted half the time and again, that goes yeah. back to knowing what you can do, because when you do get better and better and better, there will be pins you can kind of shift your target a little bit more towards rather than the center of the green. Yeah, I mean, Chris Nagel, who's been on the Corn Ferry and Mr. Monday qualifier, has told us on the show many times that the middle of the green never moves. And that's a great, great reminder. We're obviously in this mode right now where you're playing, you're in great form and you've got final stage. When is final stage? Next week. So I'm leaving on Sunday and head up to the TBC Sawgrass. Oh, awesome. It's at Sawgrass. Awesome. But yeah. Dive um, Sawgrass. Before we get into that and, and thinking about keeping this train moving, looking back on the year, what was your lowest moment? Can you think of I a moment? Have, yeah. I didn't have status anywhere this year. 
I was playing Monday qualifiers all year. And that's tough mentally. You're like, well, am I doing the right thing? Why, you know, I know him better than this guy. Why is he in the PJ tour? I know him better than this guy. Why is he on the corn Ferry tour? And you just start getting into this, you know, never ending cycle of thoughts and doubt. And I was never at a really low point because this is something I've worked on for a very, very long time is self-talk manifestation. Um, but again, it's hard to believe when things aren't going your way. I, you know, I played well all year. It wasn't like I, I shot an 80 and I was like, this is my low point. I, I played really, really well. Um, I guess the low point would be a day that I actually played great. It was my birthday and I was in Savannah, March 20th. And it was the first Monday qualifier that I was trying. I went out there, shot six under, bogey free, played really, really well. My girlfriend was on my bag and it was looking like I was going to get in. And then somebody in the second to last group came in to push us into a playoff. And then the last man in and came in and beat us all and knocked all the guys in the playoff out. So I was just sitting there like, you have got to be kidding me. Like this whole day, I was the first one in and then the last man in came and knocked me out. And that was just like a shot to the heart of like all this work, all this preparation. It went out, played really well. And then for that to happen on my birthday, it was just devastating. And I, I did use that as motivation. Ended up Monday qualifying two times that year and got a sponsor's invite at the end of the year, played really well. And I ended up making it into Corn Ferry playoffs as a non-member and just have rolled that momentum into Q school. And, and now we're here and looking back, I never gave up on myself. I never doubted myself. It wasn't like I was complaining and, and, you know, what was me? It was more, okay, let's keep getting better. We're on the right path. Looking at every single day is a victory and, and, and a 1% better day. Even if it wasn't showing in the stats or the numbers, it was okay. I'm doing the right things. It's going to happen. What do you tell yourself when the ego with it, you know, always will starts to compare versus yeah, other people. Definitely. I think everybody in life does that, right? With, you know, cars or houses or yeah. money or jobs or status or followers or likes or, you know, it's just, that's just the name of the game, right? There's, there's only one guy at the top, right? And there's a lot of guys underneath him and a lot of guys in between me and the guy at the top. And, I have a lot of peers that I feel like I'm better than that are ranked way higher than me that are on the PJ tour that are making millions of dollars a year. And it's really easy to sit there and compare yourself and one complaint be like, Oh, you know, like I should be there. And like, it's yada, 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 but that's not going to get you anywhere. Only the hard work is, and you know, Tiger always says, find it in the dirt, put in the work and it, it'll eventually happen. And really hard to believe that sometimes when it's not happening. When you said that the, your peers are the ones succeeding and you're not, but man, I, I mean, this is my first year with full status on a major tour and I am super stoked, but the job's not finished and it's, it would be easy for me to be really happy and complacent and just be like, Oh, nice. We've made it when in reality, once you get out of here, the job's just starting. So yeah, I think that that, that comparison game can be used in two ways you can use it as fuel to your fire or you can just use it as a woe is me i should be there but i'm not like i'm just getting unlucky and no but the hard work's gonna you know work out in the end so is there any particular statements or affirmations or reminders you say to yourself when you start to go down that inevitable path of doubt comparison is there a reminder you tell yourself you know, I've got a, uh, I've worked with Brian Kane as a mental coach and he made a audio for me that goes over a body scan, a meditation, some affirmations, manifestation. And in those are a lot of my past successes, whether mm -hmm. it's through football, whether it's through hockey and golf. Um, and it's more of like a self pump up. And I listened to that before, before rounds and it talks about you know, winning the New York state open, I made five threes in the back nine to come from behind. I was four shots back and ended up winning shot nine under in the Springfield to Missouri, uh, you know, corn fair event a couple years ago to backdoor top 10, top uh, 15. And all these things are like, Oh wait, I, I can do that because after a long stretch of playing badly, you kind of forget about all the successes. You know, two time Ivy league player of the year. That was one of my goals as, as a college golfer was to win my conference and well, won my conference and, so all these things I look back on and I draw from to build up my confidence to, you know, build me back up because it's really easy to get knocked down in the sport.
Well, we talked about last time and I've talked about with so many corn fairy tour pros and PJ tour pros as well of how the conditional status of that, not knowing of even not even getting chances. Golf is the hardest game in the world as it is, but to not even get your chance and not know when it's going to come can be almost harder. And you did that all year long. And I think we should really underline for people your example on your birthday is a perfect one. Monday qualifiers as your main gig can really poke holes in your self-image because you can still be shooting great scores, scores that would be putting you in the top 10 in every tournament, but you don't get in. And so it feels like you missed a cut, but actually your performance is good. Is it is it hard to separate the result of not qualifying versus what was actually a great round. Do you have to really, you know, hammer that home for yourself that I didn't get in, but I'm playing good golf. Yeah. I think that's kind of goes back to your question. What was my low for the year? Right. That was yeah. my low, but I didn't use it as a, Oh, I failed today. It right. was, I, I played great. I got beat. Let's go get better. I pinnacle bank Monday qualifier. I shot 10 under par in 18 holes of golf. I played amazing. I was worried that I was going to be in a playoff. Nine under was a playoff at the end of the day. And if you had shot nine under par in one round of golf, like th think about that for a second. If you birdied half your holes and made zero bogeys, you were in a playoff and one of the guys in the playoff did not get through. That's crazy. So you shoot nine under par, you're packing your bags, you're on a flight home that next day. You can view that week as a failure or you can be like, I just shot nine under par. There's half of one of half of a half of a half of a percent of people in the world can ever shoot nine under par in their entire life. And this kid who shot nine under just packed his bag and went home. And that's the, that's the, the Monday qualifying game. It It is brutal. It is tough. And you got to pick your, pick your head up because the guy that shot 15 over had the same result as the guy who shot nine under. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just how you look at it. It's how you grow from it. So what, what did you learn? How can you get better? And I think, if you're learning from those those experiences, you're learning what you did well, you're learning what you did poorly. I don't know if I can play it, if it'll come through the speakers, but every single successful and unsuccessful round, I do a voice audio. So I just talk to talk to my phone. I tell myself, what did I did? What did I do really well? What did I feel? What were my swing thoughts? What was my where was my mind? Where was my body? I go through that whole entire process, you know, what went well, what went wrong. And I have them all on my phone after wins, after losses, after 90s, when I was in, in college, you know, after 83s, after 61s, you know, after 60s, after 63s, after finishing 13th at you know, Magnet Championship this year, after finishing second at second stage, after winning first stage, I've got all these audio reminders and that I'll just kind of play them back to myself when I'm in a in dark place or when I'm in a great place. So I can keep getting better. So I can remind myself of how good I am, remind myself of my successes. And that kind of picks me up during those failed good attempts, yeah. right? Monday qualifiers. You know, James, I, I almost, I get curious that being in a pro golf event, a Monday qualifier and 10 under nine under 10 under whatever it was, gets you into a playoff or doesn't even get you into a playoff. I would go and say that that, could be the hardest golf in the world because usually that's pretty damn good. So I wonder if your year of Monday qualifying almost without you even knowing it did what tiger had always talked about, which is I make my, it's a Kobe Bryant thing too, right? I make my practice harder than my play. So when you get to six rounds after traveling across the world, and you're in DP World Tour qualifying, and you give yourself permission to have a marathon of being able to plod, of not needing to press, but you also have the belief after playing in the hardest arena that you were up by that line almost every time or so many times, that has to give you a lot of confidence and self-belief, it sounds like. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Monday qualifying is debatably the hardest thing to do in golf right and when yeah. you're able to do it and succeed it does give you that confidence it sounds like yeah this year if i'm thinking i'm hearing you now versus two seasons ago i feel like self-belief is maybe the highest it's ever been and that can't be faked either self-talk no. is yeah. helpful right self-talk is valuable yeah. 
because we're all going to doubt ourselves, but it sounds like work plus belief plus learning, hyper learning has gotten you to self-belief and now great performance. Yeah. Well, Brian Kane always says, this is my mental coach again. He goes, you don't rise to the occasion. You sink back on your training. And just mm. think about that for a second, right? Think about what that means. You, you don't just magically become good when it matters most, right? If you, can't, if you can't hit a five iron 220 yards, you're not going to stand on 18 needing a five iron that goes 220 and just make it happen. It's not going to work. But if you've done it in practice every single day last week, you'll sink back on your training and trust in it and pull out that shot. So I think that's the perfect example, right? Of Monday qualifiers, hey, I was able to go back and and really just shoot these scores in training or practice then when it matters in q school hey i'm gonna i know i've done it before so let's sink back to my training let's sink back to what i've done before and i'm, I'm going to trust that it's there and that boosts your confidence going forward i love that quote yeah before we get to next week i want to ask you a very selfish question because talking about sinking back in your training and also understanding your tendencies one tendency i've realized that i have from a year of playing really poorly is if I get to a moment where you just don't feel right over the ball, or maybe you have a little bit of doubt going into a shot, I tend to swing a little bit more tentative, which then leaves my face open and I'll kind of hit this weak, you know, right shot, or mm -hmm. I might even overcompensate and then a hard left, right? Is there anything that you've ever learned physically that can help you from swinging tentatively, whether that's a feel or a thought of whether that means get to your left side, make sure you make a full turn. Like for anyone that's like me, that knows that they have a tendency to leave the face open and swing tentatively, especially early in a round when I didn't warm up and it's 50 degrees um, in LA here, which is cold for me. <laughs> Any physical cues that you've used that can kind of help you overcome the tendency to swing tentatively? I think that even pros struggle with this, maybe not leaving the face open, but everybody's got their own sort of, yeah, yeah. it's not what they, they, uh, they do, but my coach and I have actually talked about this a lot. Okay. When I'm feeling uncomfortable in a tee shot or an approach shot, let's unpack that a little bit. What's going on. Mm -hmm. I don't have the confidence to hit that shot. That means maybe my training hasn't proven that I'm good at that shot. So for you, or I guess I'll put myself, I'll, I'll go back to my, my conversation with my coach. My coach is like, go down a club. If it was a driver, go to a three wood. If you have that same feeling, go to a hybrid. If you have that same feeling, go to a four iron. If you have that same feeling still, go to a five iron, six iron, seven iron, eight iron. If you have a, if you have that feeling of the wedge on the tee shot, you, you have a problem. You got the yips or something. But, you know, just go down a club until you feel that confidence and hit it. And I challenge you to do that next time you go play. If huh. you ever feel that sort of nervousness or uncommitment, just go down a club. Even if it's a part three and you need to lay up on the part three, do it, see what you shoot. I guarantee you're going to shoot four or five shots better. I just, it's mm. going to happen, right? There's going to be tee shots where you get nervous. And when you swing tentatively, the, the other thing that I do, and it's not a physical thing. It's not going to be a, oh, make sure you get your weight left. It, it's, yeah. it's going to be a mindset shift. So there's a hole, or I'm not going to say a specific hole, but say there's a hole where there's OB left, water right. And I want to hit a driver. It's a really long hole. I got to hit a driver. I'm nervous. I know, like, I'm looking at all the trouble. I'm really, really nervous. Um, sometimes I lose focus on my target, which is bad. Focus on your target, which is the fairway or the spot, a specific spot in the fairway. But you're thinking about the trouble. You're thinking about messing up versus, hey, if I swing tentatively, I know this ball's going in the water or out of bounds. It, that, that, is, that is just a 90%. It's going to happen. If I now say, okay, I know if I swing tentatively, this ball's going in, in the water. I now need to commit to the shot because me committing to the shot's not going to lower my chances of hitting in the water. It's actually, sorry, increase my chances of hitting in the water. It's actually going to lower my chances of hitting in the water. So now that you basically trick yourself to be like, okay, if I'm tentative, I'm going to hit in the water anyway. So I might as well try to commit and then swing. And if it goes in the water, I didn't lose anything. But you tend to make better swings when you do that. So it's really hard to commit to. But if you start trying to trick yourself and using that, I guess, mindset mm -hmm. over time, 
start believing it. So if I get in a really, really tight tee shot, and I'm like, oh my God, I'll either go down a club and then go down a club and then go down a club and then go down a club to physically alter my you know shot, right? A forearm is going to go straight in the driver. Or I'll be like, well, let's sack up. I know if you get uncommitted, you're going to hit this in the water anyway. So reset, you know, commit as much as you can. And if you do hit in the water, that's, that's going to be a, a training thing. You know, you got to sink back on your training better. You got to go practice and hit a 50 more drives into that tight window more. So hmm. that might be a lot right there, but it's it's not going to be a, hey, let's make sure the club's closing the way back. It, it's more of a mindset yeah. and a routine thing. Well, I think that's a good reminder that that doesn't mean go to the range and hit 20 drivers. That means go to the range and imagine that the two flags at the range is a tight fairway with OB left, water right. Walk into the shot like you normally do and say, and imagine it and sim- try and simulate it as much as you can and, and practice it. The other yep. thing that I, that you made me think of James is one, one of my tendencies is to rush. So if I'm feeling un, uh, uncomfortable, I'm already a very fast player. I'll hit even faster, but then I've got to your point about committing. I've got zero commitment of what I'm trying to do. All I'm thinking about what is what I'm trying to avoid. So really forcing yourself to slow down and be like, no, actually, no. What does a good shot look like here? What branch, what tree, what flight? And you don't step in until you make a decision. Cause I bet you a lot of our passengers right now would be shocked if they took notes on their scorecard, how often they walk into a shot without being crystal clear on what they're trying to do. I bet it's very few um, oh, actually have a plan, right? Yeah. That's a great reminder. Before we get you out of here, James, going into next week, what are you thinking about for next week? What's the the key for you? It's got to feel good. I know you mentioned this after you um, moved on from stage two, that you considered it icing on the cake, right? You've got your first ever conditional status. So for the first time ever, it feels like you're playing with nothing to lose, which historically has done pretty well for you, James. That's what you did when you shot the 61, right? You yeah. told me I played like I had nothing to lose. So what's the mindset going into final stage of Corn Ferry? Yeah. So, I mean, just to go back, I, I have had a conditional status on Corn Ferry, but it's my first time having full status. Full status. Sorry. Yeah, on any tour anywhere. So I got my, my full DP tour card, but nothing changes. My routines is going to be the same. My process is the same. I'm going to try to shoot the best score I can possibly shoot. And the outcome is going to be the outcome no matter what. And I'm going to yeah. work hard this week to put myself in the best you know possible mindset and get my game in the best physical shape it can be. And then just go play golf. It's just golf. You know, yeah, don't, don't, sink, I'm not going to try to overthink it. Yeah, sink back into your training. Yep, exactly. That's it. You've already put in the work. And got to continue to. Yeah, I love it. Well, I love following you. I know a lot of other people do. It's been, it's cool to watch you document your journey. Before we let you go, is there anything we've talked about today that you really want to hammer home for our passengers? Or is there anything we didn't cover today that you think is really important for them to hear? Yeah. I mean, I think the big point about what we've been talking about, about just for, you know, the average 10 handicap to improve their game is one, know what you can do. You know, don't just say you hit your five iron 190 yards when, you know, realistically you hit that one out of every 10 shots. And two, if you do feel that uncomfort, that comfort, that lack of comfort on a tee shot, drop, drop down a club. Just because everybody's hitting driver doesn't mean you have to hit a driver. My first year as a pro, I changed my tee shot club choice a lot because of based on, you know, what other guys were doing. And I hit really poor shots based on because of that. Now I am very confident in my own decision making where I can pull a four iron off the tee every single driver or pull a driver on a tee every sitting four and, and know that that's the right club for me. So know what, you know, play within yourself, know your skills, sink it back on your training. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm stoked to have full status somewhere. I'm really excited for the year to come. Um, and I just kind of keep working hard because this is, this is just the beginning and I, there's a long road ahead. Is it wild to think of living in Europe for living and playing in Europe for a year? Like what is, does that get you excited? It, it's very exciting you know yeah. it changes obviously scary in any way but i just looked at the flags that were on the schedule and i'm like wow bucket list bucket list bucket list bucket list bucket yeah. list and i get to play golf and do what i love at the, you know at the same time so yeah awesome well let people know where to find you and so that they can cheer you on next week along with everyone that listens to the show we want to make sure we're we're there for you next week yeah, actually, I guess I, this is a good time to mention. I'm actually launching an app tomorrow called Grandstand. And oh. it's going to be a uh, a really easy way to follow me and get exclusive content 
auto updates on hole by hole scoring stats, how I'm feeling, swing thoughts, training, how I prepare kind of an all in one app to kind of get inside my inner circle um, as a fan. So if you do want to follow grandstand, I'm launching it tomorrow. I guess this will come out in a couple of weeks. So it'll be, it'll be up and running and uh, it'll be the best way to follow me out there. But you know, That's other awesome. than that, James, like this golf on Instagram, TikTok, and uh, I'm looking forward to the grandstand, you know, launch comes soon. Awesome, man. Well, thank you as always for hopping aboard. We're going to be rooting you on and I'm sure the passengers got a lot from this. So thanks a lot for hopping aboard again, my man. That was fun. Oh, of course. We'll, we'll do it here again soon, shortly when I uh, hopefully have some more success. Yeah, absolutely. Hey guys, this is Evan. Before you hop off board, if you love the podcast and you love our merchandise drops, I think I got something you'll probably enjoy. You go to thepartrain.com, hop aboard our email list, get a free newsletter that keeps your game on track, a little mental nugget every Monday. And then maybe even more importantly, first access to merchandise drops before any Instagram promotion. We send it to our email subscribers first. And so if that interests you, hop aboard the email list at thepartrain.com. Hope you guys enjoyed the ride. Take care.